Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. You guys, you guys, uh, guess who it is? <laughs> Probably a stranger to you at this point. Hey, it's Kayla, your host and creator here at Black True Crime. I hope you guys have been doing amazing over this crazy fucking year. I know I've been like trying to stay afloat with mental health and just not punching somebody in their fucking throat. Um... <laughs> You know, we all go through our times where we just really don't want to deal with anyone and that or anything extra. And that's where I've been for a very long time. So I've been trying to get out of that space and I am here to do a listener requested episode to get out of that space and to get back into the swing of things for real this time. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. In 2010, 2109 Pear Tree Lane, Durham, North Carolina, was home to a man, his children, and the woman he claimed to love. It was located in a very comfortable middle-class neighborhood, and one would assume that the residents of this neighborhood probably were well-off, or at least well-to-do. An assumption that would be completely, utterly, and frightfully untrue in this case. Join us as we discuss what went on in that house on Pear Tree Lane, from manipulation to menage a trois, to murder, all under the direction of a man named Peter Lucas Moses Jr. Thank you to listener Nassim for requesting this episode via Facebook. So I don't know if you guys can tell yet, but I absolutely hate when I can't find a lot of information about their background, their childhood, things of that nature. It drives me crazy because it kind of takes the fun out of analyzing everything that's happened to them that has affected them to be the way that they are. So since I can't do that, I'm, going to, I'm just going to go over what I have and what I was able to find. So Peter was born in 1983. He was raised by both of his parents, and he had at least two brothers. His parents were super, super religious. They were into the Christian faith. According to Peter's attorney, Peter was a very troubled little boy. He first tried to kill himself, keyword first, which is just really, really sad, at the age of 10 years old. And because of this incident, he was hospitalized. He was analyzed by doctors. They decided to say that he had bipolar disorder and depression. And because of these disorders, he was committed to multiple psychiatric facilities. Okay, so let's think about that. As a young child, you're already suffering from things that grown men suffer from. And you already are feeling such strain in your life that you want to kill yourself at the age of 10 years old. That's insane. It's not unheard of, but it's insane and extremely sad. So with the diagnosis, obviously came medication for him. And that was really the only things that I could find about his childhood, other than that he went to high school in Washington, D.C. for a little while. And that's where he would meet Antoinetta McCoy. 
Antoinetta grew up in a very close-knit family. Um, they all lived in D.C. and they were extremely, extremely close, you guys. Like, did everything together type of thing. That's how she was raised. They were Pentecostal Christians and they made their faith the most important part of their lives. Obviously, being that she was raised this way, it was easier for Antoinetta to adapt to this type of lifestyle. She made her faith and her family the most important things to her. Uh, according to her family, she was shy, but she was very loving and struggled a little bit with her self-image and her self-esteem. Preach, haven't we all dealt with that? Once she reached high school, being that her family was so strict and very religious, she couldn't do everything that all the other kids were doing. So she couldn't, you know, go out at night, stay out long periods of times, things like that. So when she was able to meet somebody and meet somebody, I mean a boy named Peter Moses, she was really, really into him because his family was religious too. They were, you know, on the stricter side and he didn't participate in the things that the kids were doing at the school. So they bonded in that way. And he started walking her home from school, even though she couldn't date, you know, they were keeping it very wholesome and cute for a while. Apparently during this time, she was falling in love with him. And I, it may have been her first love. I'm not entirely sure, but you know how high school is. When you're in high school, everything, every feeling is ramped up like times a thousand. So I'm pretty sure was, she was probably crazy about the boy. Well, unfortunately, when you're still young and have no control over where you live or when you move, <laughs> Peter had to move away from Antonetta and away from DC. And it broke her little, beautiful, huge, open-hearted heart. <laughs> Not much is really mentioned about how her life was between that time. But in 2010, literally 10 years, maybe over 10 years later, Peter and Antonetta would reconnect on Facebook. Facebook is the effing devil. <laughs> I will always stand by that I hate Facebook so much, mostly because I can't navigate it. I'm like a 50-year-old when it comes to tech. No shade to 50-year-olds, okay? No shade. But yes, back on topic. So they linked back up on Facebook, started talking doggone near every single day, and Antoinetta was falling in love again. She felt like she had met the man of her dreams. So, naturally... She wanted to go see him, you know, go visit him and spend time with him. So she started traveling from Washington, D.C. to Durham, North Carolina, visiting him every so often. Apparently, it seemed like she was, you know, she was happy. And being that we kind of know that she struggled, struggled with confidence and, you know, things of that nature early in her life. I think that she probably just really was looking for a lot of people, me included, are looking for like a partner to go through life with and to love them through everything. So I think that's what she was looking for. And I think she thought she found that with Peter. So back and forth, back and forth, she went. Now, when she would go to visit Peter, he was living in this really nice house on Pear Tree Lane. I'm going to put up a picture on the Instagram. Instagram is Black True Crime Podcast. <laughs> so yeah, when she would go to the home, it was very, very nice. He had these things that she'd never really seen before with men in DC. He had a home, right? A beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood. When she got there, there were a lot of children that were living at the house. There was about nine children living in the home and three other women at that time. Now, I know first glance, you're like, okay, what's going on? Mm, there's a lot of, is this like a daycare that he's running? That's what I would personally think. But he just told her that it was his sisters, his aunts, and they were living together, just, you know, raising the children together. Red flag number one for me. Let me just say that. 
Because I feel like if they were his sisters and they were old enough to be having children, which all of these women were, wouldn't she have met them while they were in high school? Or wouldn't she have at least known that he had some siblings or sisters back then? So I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's starting to get strange over here, over here on Pear Tree Lane. So among the women and children that lived in the home, there was a little boy that was only four years old. You guys, he was only four years old and his name was Jaden Higginbotham. He was so stinking cute. You'll see his picture on the IG page and he was just lovable. He was a great little boy and Antoinetta took to him immediately. Like as soon as she got there, she gravitated toward him started showing him all types of love and affection and attention that he wasn't getting when she wasn't there and she started to really notice this she noticed that his own mom Vanya which was one of the women that lived there was not even paying him that much attention she wouldn't spend much time with him and love on him and neither did the other women and especially not Peter Peter was very standoffish to the child I think it was because Jaden was the only child that was not Peter's you know, and out of the nine children, Jaden was the only one that was fathered by someone else. So that could have started the issue. But we'll find out a little bit later why exactly Peter could not stand this child so much. Sick. How do you not, how do you take out your anger on a child? You know, get help. So not asking too many questions, obviously, Antoinetta continued to travel back and forth and as she traveled and spent more time with Peter, she just fell more in love with him. And she was ready to basically uproot her life and start a life with Peter and all these other people <laughs> that Peter had already started a life with. But the closer she got to Peter and the more time she spent with Peter, she started to learn things about him that she was not so sure about. So remember how I said that Peter was very religious growing up, like him and his whole family? Well, he still is. It's just a very, very different way. So Antonetta would learn that Peter and everyone else in his home considered themselves to be Black Hebrew or Hebrew Israelites. Um, what this means, it's basically a mixture of Christianity and Jewish religious practices, plus a little bit of Black liberation theology. So in a nutshell, this is what they believe. So the Black Hebrew Israelite doctrine states that one, the white race was spawned by Esau, the twin brother of Jacob in the Bible. Two, the white race descended from red, hairy beings called Edomites, also known as the sons of the wicked. Three, they are considered to be evil and is at the top of the black Hebrew Israelites hate list. Yes, the top because they have an extensive mother effing list. Included on this list are fraudulent Jews, Asians, abortionists, continental Africans, meaning like people that still live in Africa Africa and are native to Africa, homosexuals, and last but not least, black women. Are you surprised? I am not. I mean, I'm surprised that these women would go along with a belief like that, but, you know, to each his own, right? So essentially, the doctrine states that black women are wicked. They don't respect their man. They need to be reprogrammed into obedience and basically abused they are the man's possession they also teach that the world is nothing without the israelites and that when the world ends due to a race war which they say will be happening soon jesus will come back and rain fire and hell onto everyone on the hate list that i just mentioned 
So essentially everyone but black men will be killed. And then black men will be able to reign superior on the earth. Are you fucking joking? (laughs) I am all for recognizing your power as a black man or whatever. But you don't have to do all this. Now, I don't want you to think that all um, black Hebrew Israelites are like this. This is on the more extreme part of their doctrine and the more violent part. So, yeah, imagine learning that the man of your dreams thinks of you and anyone like you as scum, wicked and evil and less than and dirty and (laughs) needing to be abused. Like, it's just awful. And then on top of all this, she found out that the women that had been living there that he called his sisters and his aunts were not his sisters and his aunts, but his actual wives, not legally, but in his mind, they were his wives. And that all but one of the children that we talked about earlier were fathered by Peter himself. So when she found this out, well, she didn't really find this out. He kind of just told her outright one day at the dinner table. He was like, these are not my aunts or my sisters. These are my wives and all of my children. Like he just wasn't gentle with it. And he's like, but despite all this, you and I can still be married and in love and happy. So... I can't begin to imagine what type of situation she must have been in or felt that she was in because she was so incredibly in love. And love is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It can make you put up with some fucked up stuff. So I know it was hard for her to even wrap her mind around all of this. And probably what stuck in her mind out of everything he said was that they could still be married and in love. So despite all of this, she decided to stay. Personally, even if I was in love, yeah, okay, but how my ego is set up? When she found out that the women have to go out and work for the money and that Peter never works for anything, they have to bring it back to him and all that type of stuff, there's no way in hell I would have been able to last. There's no way in hell. I'm not working if you're not working. And this was in 2011. This isn't in like, this isn't even old times. This is within the last 10 years. Crazy. Oh, and I'm so sorry. Did I mention how they call him Lord as well? Like they just refer to him as Lord, which this for me, when I read this, I was like, "Mm." did he instruct them not to call him that when Antoinette was around? Because she visited a couple times, you know, and she saw their interactions and things like that. So were they told to just like tone it down or something? I'm not really sure. I'm not calling no man Lord. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) So after learning all of this, And finding out that the man she fell in love with was not the same man as he was when he was in high school, which rarely any of us stay the same. (laughs) She still decided to stay and she started to uproot her life in Washington, D.C. And she would go back, grab her things, come back, go back again, grab some more things. So she was just slowly moving to Durham. It wasn't long, though, before things started to get a little bit more dangerous and worth concern from her family. According to Antoinette's sister, Janaya Dubose, sorry if I said that wrong, Antoinette told her in August of 2010 that Peter had, quote, smacked her in the mouth with a gun and shot at her three times. So let's take a moment to process that. This man smacked her in the mouth. He put his mother effing hands on her. I'm trying to, like, tone down my cussing, as you guys can see. (laughs) So bear with me. He put his hands on her. Okay, and then he also shot at her. All right, all right. This is like 
code red, red flag. Like, no ma'am, no ham. She continued on saying that she was afraid of Peter and the other woman in the group. Janiah said, quote, she was like, you don't understand how it works. They kill people. <sighs> but despite her fears and concerns, she decided to stay with him. So I don't know if she may have known something that happened before or they were taught she was being taught this on their Bible study times or whatever, but she felt like this was a group of people that were dangerous enough and bold enough to take someone else's life. And this was in August. So it's just really, really cringy how, honestly, how all this is going to play out. So in October 2010, Antoinette took another trip back home to DC to pick up the last of her things so she could fully be moved into the cult home. Because yes, this is like very much a cult, very much isolation, manipulation, that sort of thing. So Janiah said that Antoinette hugged her family. Janiah, remember, is her sister. She told them that she loved them and that she would call them soon. And unfortunately, that would be the last time they'd ever see Antoinette. I'm going to go ahead and play a clip of her sister talking right now. We got the happy Thanksgiving text and all that. Christmas, nothing. Well, my mother's birthday pays. That's when I knew for a fact without a shadow of a doubt. This is not making sense. My mother and my sister were like best friends. So clearly after you don't hear from your child on your birthday, if there hasn't been a red flag before then or a reason for concern, there definitely is one now. So on February 1st, 2011, Antoinette's family would decide to file a missing persons report with the D.C. Police Department. Now, her family filed the missing persons report with the D.C. Police Department because that's the last place they saw her, even though they felt like she had disappeared in Durham. So the police asked the family if they tried to contact anyone else that was close to her in Durham. Basically, they just asked them if they did everything they could to try to get in contact with her. And of course, they said they did. They even called her fiance, Peter Moses, who refused to call them back. And now it's basically they're just at their last resort. They have to contact the police department because they're not getting any answers. So naturally, because the family said that the last place they knew of her to be was with Peter Moses in Durham, North Carolina, the D.C. Police Department reached out to Peter. And basically, they called him up, said, hey, do you know where Antoinette McCoy is? She has been missing for a little bit of time now, and her family is worried. And being the master manipulator he is, he calmly explained how he and Antoinette had broken up a few months before over some financial disagreements and that she just left. And he assumed that she moved back to D.C. with her family. When her family was calling and he wasn't answering, the police had to ask him about that, obviously. And he said, well, I thought they were calling for an explanation as to why we broke up. And I felt like it was more of her responsibility to let them know the details of that. Which I'm like, if you felt like she went home and she made it home to her family, don't you think she would have already told them what happened? You know? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But the police were fooled by it. I mean, it was good enough for them. And it's not necessarily fooled because Antoinette is an adult. It is common to go through a breakup or a change in living situation, not exactly tell everyone your life. So the police are like, okay, this is plausible. And they just let it be. But no one would expect what happened next, just a few weeks later. The twin brother of Jacob in the Bible. Two, the white race descended from red, hairy beings called Edomites, also known as the sons of the wicked. 
Three, they are considered to be evil and is at the top of the Black Hebrew Israelites hate list. Yes, the top because they have an extensive mother effing list. Included on this list are fraudulent Jews, Asians, abortionists, continental Africans, meaning like people that still live in Africa, Africa and are native to Africa, homosexuals, and last but not least, black women. Are you surprised? I am not. I mean, I'm surprised that these women would go along with a belief like that, but you know, to each his own, right? So essentially the doctrine states that black women are wicked. They don't respect their man. They need to be reprogrammed into obedience and basically abused. They are the man's possession. They also teach that the world is nothing without the Israelites and that when the world ends due to a race war, which they say will be happening soon, Jesus will come back and rain fire and hell onto everyone on the hate list that I just mentioned. So essentially everyone but black men will be killed and then black men will be able to reign superior on the earth. Are you fucking joking? (laughs) I am all for recognizing your power as a black man or whatever, but you don't have to do all this. Now, I don't want you to think that all um, black Hebrew Israelites are like this. This is on the more extreme part of their doctrine and the more violent part. So yeah, imagine learning that the man of your dreams thinks of you and anyone like you as scum, wicked, and evil, and less than, and dirty, and (laughs) needing to be abused. Like, it's just awful. And then on top of all this, she found out that the women that had been living there that he called his sisters and his aunts were not his sisters and his aunts, but his actual wives. Not legally, but in his mind, they were his wives. And that all but one of the children that we talked about earlier were fathered by Peter himself. So when she found this out, well, she didn't really find this out. He kind of just told her outright one day at the dinner table. He was like, these are not my aunts or my sisters. These are my wives and all of my children. Like he just wasn't gentle with it. And he's like, but despite all this, you and I can still be married and in love and happy. So... I can't begin to imagine what type of situation she must have been in or felt that she was in because she was so incredibly in love. And love is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It can make you put up with some fucked up stuff. So I know it was hard for her to even wrap her mind around all of this. And probably what stuck in her mind out of everything he said was that they could still be married and in love. So despite all of this, she decided to stay. Personally, even if I was in love, yeah, okay, but how my ego is set up? When she found out that the women have to go out and work for the money and that Peter never works for anything, they have to bring it back to him and all that type of stuff, there's no way in hell I would have been able to last. There's no way in hell. I'm not working if you're not working. And this was in 2011. This isn't in like, this isn't even old times. This is within the last 10 years. Crazy. Oh, and I'm so sorry. Did I mention how they call him Lord? as well like they just refer to him as lord which this for me when i read this i was like "Mm." did he instruct them not to call him that when antonetta was around because she visited a couple times you know and she saw their interactions and things like that so were they told to just like tone it down or something i'm not really sure i'm not calling no man lord sorry sorry okay (laughs) 
So after learning all of this and finding out that the man she fell in love with was not the same man as he was when he was in high school, which rarely any of us stay the same, (laughs) she still decided to stay. And she started to uproot her life in Washington, D.C. And she would go back, grab her things, come back, go back again, grab some more things. So she was just slowly moving to Durham. It wasn't long, though, before things started to get a little bit more dangerous and worth concern from her family. According to Antoinetta's sister, Janaya Dubose, sorry if I said that wrong, Antoinetta told her in August of 2010 that Peter had, quote, smacked her in the mouth with a gun and shot at her three times. So let's take a moment to process that. This man smacked her in the mouth. He put his mother effing hands on her. I'm trying to like tone down my cussing as you guys can see. (laughs) So bear with me. He put his hands on her. Okay, and then he also shot at her. All right, all right. This is like code red, red flag. Like, no ma'am, no ham. She continued on saying that she was afraid of Peter and the other woman in the group. Janiah said, quote, she was like, you don't understand how it works. They kill people. (sighs) But despite her fears and concerns, she decided to stay with him. So I don't know if she may have known something that happened before or they were taught she was being taught this on their Bible study times or whatever, but she felt like this was a group of people that were dangerous enough and bold enough to take someone else's life. And this was in August. So it's just really, really cringy how, honestly, how all this is going to play out. So in October 2010, Antoinette took another trip back home to DC to pick up the last of her things so she could fully be moved into the cult home. Because, yes, this is, like, very much a cult, very much isolation, manipulation, that sort of thing. So, Janiah said that Antoinette hugged her family. Janiah, remember, is her sister. She told them that she loved them and that she would call them soon. And, unfortunately, that would be the last time they'd ever see Antoinette. I'm going to go ahead and play a clip of her sister talking right now. We got the happy Thanksgiving text and all that. Christmas, nothing. Well, my mother's birthday pays. That's when I knew for a fact without a shadow of a doubt. This is not making sense. My mother and my sister were like best friends. So clearly after you don't hear from your child on your birthday, if there hasn't been a red flag before then or a reason for concern, there definitely is one now. So on February 1st, 2011, Antoinette's family would decide to file a missing persons report with the D.C. Police Department. Now, her family filed the missing persons report with the D.C. Police Department because that's the last place they saw her, even though they felt like she had disappeared in Durham. So the police asked the family if they tried to contact anyone else that was close to her in Durham. Basically, they just asked them if they did everything they could to try to get in contact with her. And of course, they said they did. They even called her fiance, Peter Moses, who refused to call them back. And now it's basically they're just at their last resort. They have to contact the police department because they're not getting any answers. So naturally, because the family said that the last place they knew of her to be was with Peter Moses in Durham, North Carolina, the D.C. Police Department reached out to Peter. And basically, they called him up, said, hey, do you know where Antoinette McCoy is? She has been missing for a little bit of time now, and her family is worried. 
And being the master manipulator he is, he calmly explained how he and Antoinetta had broken up a few months before over some financial disagreements and that she just left. And he assumed that she moved back to DC with her family. When her family was calling and he wasn't answering, the police had to ask him about that, obviously. And he said, well, I thought they were calling for an explanation as to why we broke up. And I felt like it was more of her responsibility to let them know the details of that. Which I'm like, if you felt like she went home and she made it home to her family, don't you think she would have already told them what happened? You know? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But the police were fooled by it. I mean, it was good enough for them. And it's not necessarily fooled because Antoinette is an adult. It is common to go through a breakup or a change in living situation, not exactly tell everyone your life. So the police are like, okay, this is plausible. And they just let it be. But no one would expect what happened next, just a few weeks later. On June 10th, 2011, a landlord in Durham called a plumber to check out a horrible smell coming from his backyard. And at first he thought it was like some type of sewage issue. But after a little more investigative work, they discovered a partially buried plastic bag. And being that they probably watch any type of crime television. You don't touch it after that. And so they decide to call 911. Oh, we see a, a something buried in a plastic bag and um, it, it has a horrible smell. We don't assume it. We don't think it's an animal or nothing. It seems like it could possibly be another human. So when the police arrived, they opened the bags and found what they had been looking for. They found Antoinetta's body first, and then 15 feet below hers, I believe, they found Jaden's. The autopsy on Antoinetta Yvonne McCoy showed that she had been beaten for hours before her death, and that she'd been shot with a Caltech 22 cal twice in the top of her head and once in her right forearm, which could have been from her trying to put up her arm to protect herself from the bullets. My heart! They even tried to burn her tattoos off, you guys, because they didn't want her remains to be identified. But thank God it didn't work. And she was still identified by her tattoos. One on her right wrist, one on her left arm, and one on her right shoulder. She was only 28 years old when she was killed. So shortly after the police discovered the bodies, mind you, on one of the bags, I think it was just one, one of the bags, they found Peter Moses's fingerprint. So that just, that's a smoking gun right there. Everything else could have been circumstantial. This is what's going to put him behind bars. Peter Lucas Moses Jr., Vanya Sisk, Lavada Harris, LaRonda Smith, P. Leonard Moses, which is Peter's brother, Shielda Harris, and Shielda Moses, who is his mother, were all arrested in connection to the murders of Antoinetta and Jaden. More details came out and it was said that Peter would recruit women online. So he had women that weren't living at the house that were still kind of under his control. He was romantically involved with other women that weren't living in the house. And he was obsessed with posting his anti-government rhetoric on the internet. Here's a clip. I'm going to try to put it on the Instagram page as well, but I'm just going to go ahead and play it for you guys. You're probably going to, you're going to hear Peter talking, and then you're also going to hear the women talking. Um, introduce my women. I have four wives. It's still, you know, hard at times, but it's getting easier and easier day by day. You was cursed to serve us. 
You are our possession. Get that through your head. A lot of you hate order. You hate instruction. And that's why the Lord's going to kill a lot of you. When you look around you, it's all vanity. It's emptiness. Everything you got, it can't save you. Tires ain't nothing compared to what's about to happen. I don't know it all. I don't claim to know it all. But I know enough to know right from wrong. I know enough to know what what is expected of me and what to do and what not to do. You know what I'm saying? The Lord knows my heart. Mm. So, you guys heard that. <laughs> what do you think? Well, you can't tell me now. But tell me on IG because... I think he doesn't sound like someone that's mentally unstable or is missing their medication, right? He just sounds like someone that's wholeheartedly convinced that what he believes is right and he's going to bring as many people with him as possible. Just like a normal psychotic cult leader. So even when the women weren't around Peter and they were in jail for multiple charges and facing a lot of time, they would not turn on Peter. I believe it was Vanya's father. He said he knows that she's innocent because she was a victim and, you know, stuff like that. But she refuses to see herself as a victim. She wholeheartedly is enamored with Peter and his doctrine and their lifestyle. And that's it. That's what she wanted. So they chose not to say anything to prosecutors, not even to help themselves stay out of prison. What did Peter do, you may ask? Peter snitched. He told on himself and everybody else, didn't care at all, surprise, surprise. <laughs> so he decided to avoid the death penalty because everyone that was charged was on the hook for the death penalty, but he wanted to avoid it. So he was like, fine, I'm going to plead guilty to all charges. Whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. So he basically squealed like a damn pig. And he told investigators that he killed Jaden because he was told that Jaden smacked one of the other children on the butt when they were playing. Like, you know, like just tapped him on the bum or whatever. And because of Peter's doctrine, he believed that Jaden was gay and he was probably trying to, you know, hurt the other children. So after that, he just decided, he told Vanya, hey, give me the gun. They set up the room and he went and shot the poor baby boy. <sighs> now, when it came to Antoinetta's murder, he told them, he added the detail. Yeah, they, you know, they beat her and stuff like that. But apparently they were urinating on her too. Guys, I always try to think about what the victims went through before they died and like how it would feel. And it turns my stomach. It, for me to even imagine it, 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 he said after he killed Jaden, he told Vanya what he did. She cried a little bit. Then they went and had sex and basically just went on with life and acted like nothing happened at all. According to investigators, making a deal with him was like making a deal with the devil. He showed no remorse whatsoever. Are you surprised? No, you shouldn't be. And he just looked like he would kill you without a second thought. I believe a prosecutor actually called him a real sociopathic individual and that it was very disturbing. Wow. Wow. And to think, Peter at this time is only 27 years old when he is arrested and charged for all of this stuff. He's only 27 years old. If you look at the video that I post on Instagram, hopefully it will work. You will see that the footage that was taken was from 2008. So the woman at his house 
Antoinetta wasn't there because it was, you know, before she entered the home. But yeah, you guys, like this man started doing this crazy stuff as early as 23 years old. Like what in the world? And then he has nine different children by two different women. So you know how long that means they've been with him for a very, very long time. It's just the more details I find about this case, because they're very well hidden. I will say that they're very well hidden. Um, they just make me even more uncomfortable. So since Peter decided to bitch out like we knew he would, the woman decided to plead guilty as well. So Vanya Sis was sentenced to 30 years for second degree murder and first degree kidnapping and be an accessory to the murder of her own son, Jaden. LaRonda got a minimum of 23 and a half years and Lavada got a minimum of 12 years for pleading guilty to being an accessory after the fact. Moses' brother, P. Leonard Moses, he pleaded guilty to being an accessory after the fact of the murder and was sentenced to at least five years behind bars. So I'm pretty sure that may have come from him assisting with the burying of the bodies over at Ash Street, where his mother used to live. And then the charges against Sheila Harris and Sheila Moses were later dropped. I don't know who Sheila Harris was. I don't know what part she played in this. Maybe she was another woman that he was talking to, but... Yeah, that wasn't really included in the research. According to Peter's attorney, when he first got to jail in 2011, he was, quote, freaking out all the time. I'm not entirely sure what that means, um, but he said once he started getting his medication, Peter's personality was very, very different. He didn't go into detail about this either, as far as I could find. Now, this whole time, you may be asking, where is Peter's family? What do they think about all this shit going on? Well, they stood by him the entire time. They blamed the justice system, honestly, and they blamed Peter's mental health. In their eyes, Peter only murdered Antoinetta and four-year-old Jaden, a child, because he was suffering from inadequate mental health care. Mental health? No, it is not your fault. But yes, it is your responsibility. Shout out to Amanda from Wine and Crime. Because you can't be blaming your actions on things that you are responsible for, which is taking care of your mental health and getting the right medication and treatment. According to Peter's family, he had stopped taking his medication for his bipolar disorder because he got into a little trouble with the law, which led to an outstanding warrant, which led to him no longer receiving his disability checks. Make it make sense, fam! Maybe if he decided to, I don't know, be responsible and take care of that outstanding warrant, even if he had to spend a little bit of time in jail, right? He would have got his medication in jail. They would have made sure of it. They would have made sure of it. And then all this money these women were making, they couldn't afford to go buy his medication. You know what I'm saying? There's just, there's different ways that you could go about it. And that's not an excuse that I'm going to let Peter take or his family take because it's just not acceptable. He's a grown-ass man for God's sakes. Lisa Miles, Peter's lawyer, said, quote, these crimes occurred at a time that Mr. Moses lost his Medicaid benefits. His illness made him do something monstrous. His character will make him atone for that. Miss Lisa Miles, piss off. Okay, I know you're trying to humanize this, this man, but killing someone it's just no excuse. And killing a, a child? I'm sorry. I'm going to play a clip of Peter's brother. Because Peter had, like I told you, I think he had at least two brothers. And he has an, his older brother was the one that was 
more vocal about, no, he didn't do this. It's impossible. And this is what he had to say about his brother's cult or his brother's chosen lifestyle, rather. Detectives made up the group and stuff like that. I mean, they, it's, it's people study different religions and stuff like that. They want to sit here and say they all oh, they part of the cult leader. It's not true. Is that so, Peter's older brother? Is that so? Is that what you want us to believe? Come on now. When I first saw it, I was like, mm, he didn't think this through because all you have to do is go <laughs> and Google Black Hebrew Israelites and you can clearly tell that the detectives, the investigators, they didn't make it up. Like, that's a bit of a stretch, sir. It's crazy how people can straight up just fucking lie. <laughs> like it's nothing. So during Peter's sentencing hearing, Yvonne McCoy, which was Antoinetta's mom, asked Peter why he would do something like this, why he would ignore her calls about her daughter, why he would lie to them, why he would hurt her if he loved her instead of just telling her or letting her leave. She said, quote, why, why, why? He took something very dear and precious from me. She was a good girl, a church girl, a God-fearing girl. There is not a day I don't think about her. She's resting in God's arms now. That is the only thing that gives me closure. There will come a time when I can forgive you, but I just haven't gotten to that stage now. If I don't forgive you, God cannot forgive me, and I can't see my child again. This is like a nightmare. And Moses, do you want to know what he said? All he said was, I'm sorry for what happened to your daughter. And that is our case, you guys. Whoo, I'm sweating a little bit. It was a doozy. Definitely extremely sad. Definitely, I feel like could have been avoided. Um, There were so many children in our house. Where the hell was CPS? None of the kids were going to school. Where the hell was CPS? Who was at this party that Peter threw and was showing off Antoinetta's body? What did these women do for work that they were able to afford a five-bedroom, three-bedroom? five bedroom three bathroom home in Durham I have a lot of questions they're probably not going to be answered I didn't really go into detail about Vanya and um, Levada and the other women because they were just more so pawns um, if you want me to do like a deeper dive on Vanya I can totally do that for Patreon But yes, you guys, thank you so much for listening. After researching this case, it kind of made me want to open up about my experience in a cult. When I was younger, my parents were members of a cult and I spent about eight years of my life there. So I kind of want to unpack that <laughs> in a special video, um, in a video format that I will probably put on. Actually, I definitely am going to put on the Patreon. At any donation level, you'll be able to access it and see it, and it will be up there by next week. I know I say a lot of shit is going to be there, and it's not, <laughs> but now I'm holding myself accountable, and I have an accountability partner, so yeah, I'm going to get this content out to you guys and bang them out. Speaking of new content, our next episode is about a woman killer, you guys. I'm so excited. I'm sick of talking about these little men, you know what I'm saying? Let's talk about a crazy ass woman. <laughs> so, I am so glad that you guys listen. I'm so glad you're here and still hanging out with me. Even though I've been wishy-washy as hell lately, 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a monthly member through anchor.fm. You can become a member of our Patreon, which will be up and active next week. Or you can just listen to the ad that we have in full, and that contributes to the podcast as well. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. I hope you had an amazing time here at Black True Crime, and I will see you guys later. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.